Yeah, my first recommendation is that you value yourself and see your age as an asset, not a liability. We are looking forward our way. Hi, this is Brett, and with me as always is Carol. First, we want to thank our listeners for joining us today, and we hope you're enjoying our podcast episode. If so, you know, give us a thumbs up on Google. That'd be great. Wonderful. Hey, Brad, how's it going? All right. Good, good. Well, it seems that every time I turn around, I see another article supposedly helping job seekers. It has become common to hear how we can be better candidates. It's all over the internet. Um, you know, what resumes should be, what they shouldn't be, what to include, what not to include, how to dress, how to answer questions, on and on. But the most important issue I've wrestled with is how to convince an employer I'm not too old. Today, we are going to dive deeply into how to ensure our, for our job seekers that they can age-proof their job search. Right. Let's say hello to our friend and uh, second, third time around. Well, easy, yeah. yeah. I'm Sharon Hamersley. You know, Sharon has joined us for several podcasts, helping us to guide listeners on how to be great job candidates. Sharon is known as and calls herself the resume coach. She is. And the LinkedIn coach. She is. And she's also the owner of Keys to Performance. Hey, Sharon, thanks again for joining us today. I'm so glad to be here. This is this is just wonderful. I always enjoy speaking with you folks and maybe imparting a little bit of wisdom. A little bit. Get her. Get out I know. of here. I know. <laughs> Listeners, strap into those chairs. Exactly. And, yeah. You know, Sharon, Sharon and I have been doing this for a long time, so this is always fun to have her back and thank you for joining us um sharon let's first discuss your background the services you have been providing both job seekers and employers for many years well i actually started with carol back at the ohio state university got that right go bucks yes as an academic advisor with a focus on career development and then after that i've worked for the past 10 years with job seekers in transition looking to make a change or to re-enter the workforce. My goal is actually to provide each candidate with the knowledge, skills, and tools to conduct a successful search and find that job that's really their best fit. And as LinkedIn has become a key piece of the job search, teaching candidates how to leverage LinkedIn to enhance their visibility has also become a key part of my business. And recently, I started also coaching small business owners and entrepreneurs how to increase their visibility and attract clients on LinkedIn. You know, Sharon, that what you just said is so important for job seekers to hear. And we're going to talk more about this, but it's not just finding applications to fill out. It's really, truly looking at a career search and a career discovery. That's correct. It, it's really about, I saw the other day, um, you don't have a job goal. You actually have, they were speaking specifically about career um, job search strategy. You have a company goal, an organizational right. goal. Good, good point. Yeah. Hmm. So. Well, needless to say, job searching has dramatically changed over the past few years. Even though employers need more staff, job seekers need to do a, a better job of showing that they're a great candidate. What's changed in the searching process and what do job seekers need to understand in today's application process? Well, first of all, um, and this is no surprise, I don't think to anybody, change is the name of the game. <laughs> <Not> the <truth. laughs> so, really. Um, 
What we're seeing a lot of, and I'm sure this is driven in part by the pandemic, but I think it would have happened naturally even without that, and that's the switch from phone interviews to video interviews on Zoom or Teams or one of the web platforms. I think that, that that's happening quite a bit. Now, applicant tracking systems, or ATS for short, have gotten more sophisticated, but they still really present a barrier both to the job seeker and to the employer in terms of finding a match. But there are ways to work through that as well. And that's really critical. Yes, right. Um, some employers, especially for more senior level positions, they're actually asking candidates to um, do a presentation to solve a problem the organization is um, currently facing. And that's kind of a two-edged sword because you're actually, in many cases, giving your time and your, you know, your experience and your skills and your knowledge away to an employer with absolutely no guarantee that anything is going to come of it. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that's a real challenge, too, and something people need to think about. And looking ahead, um, the expectation for information beyond the resume and cover letter and LinkedIn profile may include videos where the candidate is answering questions. Some of these are automated, some of them aren't, but again, it's a new technology that employers are starting to use more and more. Right. So. You know, that, that notion of creating uh, programs is not new in and of itself. I think doing it video and electronically is, but um, I had that situation Golly, it's probably been 20, 25 years ago, um, and part of the application process was to create programs, which I did. It was written, written documents, and um, had to turn it over to them. And the individual, the, the the entity that I had applied to, actually implemented both of my programs, but didn't hire me. And when you really think about it, too, you're giving away. Um, proprietary knowledge so it's not and you can't go back and sue them because you've given it to them so it's it's really critical for folks to think through that and it get the bottom line is do you want to work for an organization that has you working without getting paid exactly and I think that's something that you really need to think about in in the process right yeah. right and employers if employers are listening you need to think about it if that's part of your process here's the other side of the story so Okay, Sharon, let's first start our conversation thinking in terms of preparation. What are the first steps a job seeker should take before they actually start sending out applications and resumes? Well, the number one mistake I see job seekers make is to immediately start applying for any number of jobs that they believe they're qualified for. They really just hop in and they start throwing applications out there. Um, this usually, in fact, almost always is a recipe for frustration and burnout because the odds of actually receiving any response are very low. Um, see numbers like 10% or even less. Mm -hmm. So, so um, what I recommend is that before you even send that very first application, take a step back and think about the following. Number one, what skills do I really enjoy using in my work? And then, how does my current skill set match with the requirements of the jobs I'm interested in? 
am I missing anything? If so, how can I fill that gap with certification or self-study or any number of other methods? And finally, and this is really, really critical, where do I want to work? Um, I really recommend that you identify five to seven target companies of interest. Doesn't mean you can't apply to other opportunities, but narrowing your search will likely save you time and effort in the long run. Well, resumes are on top of the list. We all suffer as we create our own. Could you go through what should and should not be included in a resume and how do we tweak that document to be age-proof? So at least you know they, they, they can't do the math as quickly as you know to, <laughs> subtracting this date from this date. As showing when you, uh, pl- or you re- uh, graduated from high school, oh, right? right? Yeah, exactly. right. simple as that. Yeah, yeah, right. That's correct. Yeah, right. So your resume is really a snapshot or summary of your qualifications. And your goal is to communicate to the reader how you can help them with whatever problem or opportunity they're hiring for. So the current preferred resume format starts with a short summary that's really targeted at explaining in, in, in a very brief form what it is that you can help that employer with. Then your experience and your education or certification, you definitely need to ditch the objective statement. The objective says what you want employers, you know what? They don't really care. They just care how you can help them. So Sharon and I go way back on those objective statements where we spent hours helping students come up with really catchy objective statements. statements. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad they're gone. Actually, yes, me too. Yeah. So and and you really need to concentrate on the last 15 years of experience. I see resumes that are basically. Something close to a novel, (laughs) (laughs) Um, because it's likely that those 15 years are going to be the most valuable to whoever your next employer is. Now, that doesn't say that you shouldn't um, list earlier experiences, especially if you're looking maybe to make a move back towards what you did initially using all of the additional skills you've acquired in the past past 15 years. My recommendation is that you mention that early experience briefly, maybe a few points of what you were able to do, how you helped those employers, but don't put any dates on that. So that's really important. Um, Another um, very important item is to take the time to really figure out where you've gone above and beyond in your work. Um, This could be special projects, training new hires, consistently outperforming sales targets, meeting tight deadlines under pressure, fixing broken processes. Everybody has these, but many, if not most of the resumes I see simply list the job duties, and that makes you look like everybody else. Everybody does have Um, activities in their work life and maybe in their volunteer life too that are significant that really helped move whatever organization forward but we don't tend to think like that and some people are are also just really shy about tooting their own horn but if you don't toot your own horn nobody else is going to and uh, speaking of volunteer experiences, if you have significant volunteer experience as a board member 
as the lead on a major fundraiser or other project. That definitely should go in your resume as an experience. Experience can be paid or unpaid. The point is to highlight what experiences you have that are going to really help that next employer. Right, and, and the successes you had yeah. doing those experiences and how you brought value just as if you were a paid employee. Exactly, yeah. A, a couple of points that I, I, I sort of want to stress here. Um, I think that this discussion really brings about our belief that communities have great resources for job seekers to get help doing resumes. So it it's hard to get past writing down a list of tasks as opposed to really thinking through your accomplishments. Oftentimes you can't do it yourself because you're in that job and all you could think of is I have to go in the morning at eight o'clock and turn on my computer and I do this, this, and this, and this, and they never really see past the task. So we encourage folks to find someone who can help you do a resume. You need more eyes, not just for typos, but for actual content. The other thing too, and I don't know if you had this when you were at Ohio State, I always saw my, my female students went into nth detail and their resumes were long and packed and no, there was no space between sections and they just put in everything. And even if it was a list of tasks, it was everything. And the male uh, students tended to be more fluffy and, and like just bare minimum information and you really had to kind of pull everything out of them. So listeners, just make sure that regardless of which way, which direction you're taking, neither of those are going to work. You, you have to focus in on those, on those tasks. The other thing too that you brought up in the beginning of this question and answer was that, you know, a, a resume is a snapshot. You, have, you can be careful where you put your dates because it's not a legal document. Exactly. If you're doing an application, listeners, and they ask for dates, yes, you have to fill that out. But resumes do not, they, there's more leeway. Yes, exactly. And I would say one other thing about figuring out your accomplishments. And people don't think of this, especially when they're in a job, but they really need to. And that is make sure that if you get an annual evaluation, a quarterly evaluation, or anything, any kind of right. feedback, right. Um, make sure that you save that. And in a place where if suddenly you're let go, you can get you can get a hold of that. If you get complimentary letters from, from um, co-workers, Vendors, or, right, co-workers right. or anybody, keep all of that because that is a treasure trove that actually will help you kind of figure out some of this stuff. Right. And, you know, you may have done a certification program, even if the employer offered it and you finished that, and I'm using the term certification very loosely, loosely yeah. um, but it, those are those are indicators that show not only are you able to learn, you're willing to learn. And that's an important piece in a resume. Exactly. Okay, yeah. great. Um, so Sharon, two questions that I have kind of revolve around technology. First, we, had, we mentioned you mentioned the applicant tracking system. How do we ensure our resumes are actually read by these systems, which, um, you know, I'll go on record as saying I think that that has been the biggest stopper in the process of people finding great jobs and employers finding great candidates um, because it's not really used very well. Um, the second issue, 
what if we have to provide a video resume? We, you mentioned that too, as opposed to a document. So those are kind of two technology issues. Yeah. Um, so matching your resume to the requirements of an applicant tracking system can be tricky. Um, if you've done your homework in terms of identifying your skill sets and matching them with the requirements of the positions you're applying for, you should be able to identify keywords and phrases that the ATS is looking for. You want to make sure that these keywords appear at the top of your resume in that summary statement. Um, one tip that I have is that you always use the actual job title at the beginning of your summary statement because that way immediately you, you alert the applicant tracking system that, oh yeah, this, this person is applying for this job. And that may help you get a little, a little further along. Now, it's not enough to simply put a couple of keywords in, in your summary. You have to make sure that you repeat them as part of your experience. You know, pick up on, you know, if, if, they're, if they're looking for someone with high-level accounting skills, then in, in your accomplishments, you need to detail uh, what programs you've used, you know, how many, you know, how many reports you run, all of those types of things using that software or that program. Mm -hmm. So that, that's something that you really need to, to highlight in that as well. Now, video resumes, those are really tricky. I don't think most of us really want to be on camera. I think uh, I said, that's, that's why, why we're, we're doing podcasting. <laughs> that's why we're not on camera today. Yeah, most people have a fear of public speaking that's only, I think, second to the fear of death. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so um, you, um, the thought of speaking on camera can, can be really daunting. And your best strategy here is practice, practice, practice. Um, get a friend or a colleague or somebody just to fire up their phone camera and have you speak initially about something, you know, a hobby, a book you just read, anything like that, just to practice. And then you can run through that and, and see, oh, yeah, well, I use a lot of ums and uhs. I need to fix that. Um, I need to... And it just said, um. <laughs> <laughs> we think that through. Yes. yes. And, and to just get more practice at it. And I think that's, that's your best insurance if you are asked to do a video. You know, too, having somebody on the other side of that camera is helpful. I learned um, in public speaking in front of groups that you don't look at the group. That's what scares you. You kind of hone in on one or two people and, and hopefully friends, people you know, who are going to give you positive feedback through positive looks to you, facial looks. Um, and, and if you've got a friend on the other side of that camera, you're talking to them as opposed to being worried about talking to the camera and whoever's going to get the video. Yes, exactly. That's, that's a good strategy for sure. Well, let's look at the technology question a little bit differently. You know, there's technology that we know, equipment, software, programs. How do we include that information in a resume? For instance, are there training or certi uh, certifications that are helpful, uh, software programs we definitely need to know, and others that we should drop off the resume that's somewhat antiquated now, or maybe not used, but we think it's important. Uh, um, you know, how and where do they appear on a resume? First of all, if the role you're seeking is pretty technology heavy, and that can be in any number of roles and in industries, um, I recommend including that information at the end of your summary. I was just working with a candidate 
who's looking for an instructional design position. So we included things like um, all, all of the um, software that she uses to um, design programs, design web programs, that she uses Blackboard, which is a learning, software, learning management system, those types of things. So I think that's really important. And if the job posting lists certain applications, make sure they're right there at the top of your resume, right after your summary. I think that's really, really important. Um, recent certifications should also be mentioned, I think. If you, if you gained an advanced um, Excel certification last year, then I think it's important to, to mention that up front, you know, um, advanced Excel certification um, 2021 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So you do want to mention those. Um, and it's also important to mention in your experience section how you've used certain technology to achieve the desired results. So if, you know, people can run reports till they're blue in the face, but really expert people know how to sort through that data and make sure that it's going to make sense to a non-technical audience and can really explain that. Right, right. So. And you know, too, this is a, a, another place on your resume to again show that notion of I can learn and I'm willing to learn. Yes. So because the job description asks for QuickBooks and you used Peachtree and Quicken doesn't mean you can't do QuickBooks. It gives you an opportunity to maybe do a short online course about QuickBooks and there are lots of places to get that information for free. So, you know, and you can explain, I don't want to say explain it on your resume because it's not, you don't have length of a lot of space on your resume to long explanations, but you can include that with a qualifier saying you're currently learning QuickBooks or something along that line. Yeah, yeah, and and this is another point that I really need to make and maybe I even should have made it earlier. Employers, when they put a job posting out there, what they're really looking for is that purple unicorn. Right. <laughs> so I always tell people, if you match 70-80% of the qualifications, it may be like Carol said, you know, you use Peachtree, not QuickBooks or something like that. That's not in and of itself a disqualifier. Right. You, you really need to do that. Right. And on the other side, unless specifically mentioned in the job posting, don't list technology or programs that are not in current use. Mm -hmm. Some people, I guess, still, you know, some jobs still require programming languages that were current 20 years ago, but... Yeah, Y2K, needed, <laughs> yeah. needed basic, yeah. <laughs> COBOL, right? Yep. Right, but <laughs> so. that's not. Um, and then finally, and this is really important, your email um, provider and your username. I can't tell you how many resumes I've seen that have had at hotmail.com, at aol.com, at, um, at um, name, you know, really old technology. It's, that it's, will date you quicker than anything. Yes, my student, it was fluffygirl at yahoo.com. Yep. That didn't work for uh, applications. No, it doesn't. So <laughs> so really, um, the, the current best practice is to have a Gmail account with your username, first name, middle initial, last name, at gmail.com, right. or some combination. And if 
if you're um, Jane A. Smith, there are going to be thousands of those, please don't put your birth date or high school graduation year as the number behind your username. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, that'll get you a lot of phone calls and yes. spam real quickly. Really? So, so. so Sharon, um, one of the things that clients used to ask me is, you know, do they have to buy a new wardrobe in order to go and do their, their interviewing? And I would never tell somebody that they had to do that. But there are easy changes that you can make with your look, you know, for your pictures on social media um, that will support your job search as opposed to hurting you. Yes. So employers are going to look at your social media. So you really need to take a, you know, a critical look at your social media um, LinkedIn, also Facebook. Check your Facebook because if if your Facebook, uh, if anybody can see your Facebook, and you can lock down Facebook so not everybody can see it, and you really should, especially when you're in job search. But check check all of those to just see what what's out there about you, and be prepared to put your best foot forward. On LinkedIn, you really do need a headshot where you're dressed professionally because that conveys that you're serious about your job search. If a recruiter is put off by the fact that they can see you're not a 20-something with 15 years of experience, then that's really their loss, yeah. So um, before, I, um, so I mentioned Facebook, make sure that that's pretty locked down. If, you know, other Twitter, TikTok, whatever, whatever social media you have. It's really not a good time to have everybody in the universe be able to review that. Mm -hmm. You really want to keep that pretty locked down. Um, now, virtual interviews. We talked a little bit about virtual interviews before. Before signing on for the interview, check what you can see behind your camera because guess what? That's what the interviewer is going to see. Right. So what I recommend is um, set up some place where you have a neutral background and good lighting and you don't want your face in the shadows and check you know check double check triple check to make sure that you're um, wherever you're set up your wi-fi isn't going to drop you know mm -hmm. and have other people get off the wi-fi while you're on interviewing because that takes up a fair amount of bandwidth and somebody else is trying to play a game that's going to really mess things good, up good point yeah. good point i i had learned a little trick i realized if you wait until you're on the zoom or whatever the platform is um for your discussion it's too late to change anything in your background mm -hmm. so i learned to just click on on my camera on my uh, computer and it would show me sort of what it's going to look like. So, yes. if, you know, if there's a bunch of junk sitting behind me, I can put it on the floor so they can't see or whatever. So it's just, it is it is possible to check this uh, virtually before you are actually in the process of doing the interview. Exactly, yes. Well, social media has taken job searching to many new levels, as we just talked about. However, Though social media can help a job search, networking is still really important. Uh, can you give us an overview on why networking is, is still at the top of the list, really, and tips on how to be a great networker utilizing social media as well? So, yeah, networking really needs to be an ongoing activity in your life. And what that means for me is I'm always looking to share information with others and learn from them. 
Others have helped me in the past, so I'm looking to pay it forward. So networking is not so much a single event. I think people kind of think of it as going to meetings, shaking hands, passing out business cards, being hit up by whomever for whatever they're trying to sell. And it feels kind of sleazy, and I understand if people think that's what networking is. I wouldn't do it either. <laughs> but if you think of it more as that conversation, that, that interchange between people that goes on, you know, not constantly, but occasionally. So um, networking can take many different forms. Um, you can reach out to a former colleague on LinkedIn, ask how things are going, and share some item of interest. A uh, big part of networking, and I, I, I think everybody will probably agree with this, is volunteering in your community for causes that you are passionate about. Because when you meet people at these events, you're going to have a common link right away. And as you chat with them, you may decide that some of them would merit having a further conversation to learn more about them, share more about you. And that's really a good way to, have, you know, to build your network organically. And that, that feels good because you're, again, you're sharing information, you're talking about mutual passion. Um, another good way is to attend or present at a professional conference. Um, this is a great way to make new contacts in your field while paying it forward by sharing information. And the bottom line on networking is that you should always give before you receive. I think that's a, that's a barrier that people see. Oh, I'm asking for something. Well, think of it. What do I have to offer others before I ask for something? The more others perceive you as genuinely wanting to help, um, the, the, they're going to be much more willing to help when you ask. And people really do want to help as long as you don't put it out there as like, um, help me please, and you don't give them guidance or direction or you ask immediately for a job or those types of things. But they, they're willing to help with any resources that they have. That That's a good point, too, because one of the problems um, that job seekers have, uh, particularly for folks who are in really difficult situations, is they tend to say, I'll do anything. I'll work for anything. I'll, you know, I, I just give me a job kind of thing. In networking, just like in job searching, you're not putting the um, the responsibility on the person you're talking to. The goal is to get information, but also it's a two-way street. You have to be a good listener to be a good networker. Um, if you are getting information from folks, they're going to expect to get information from you. So it, it really is back and forth. Yes, and if you get information from somebody, follow up on it. Let them know that you followed up and what the result was, you know, and thank them. Gratitude is never out of season, really. Yeah. Well, Sharon, I can't believe we're already at the end of our program. This always goes so quickly. We have so much to talk about and tell our listeners. One of the things we always ask our guests is for their words of wisdom. What, you know, what can you tell our listeners? What suggestions do you have on age-proofing their job search and what resources exist in the community to support that job search? Yeah, my first recommendation is that you value yourself and see your age as an asset, not a liability. 
Many job seekers immediately attribute rejection of their application as age discrimination. It certainly can be, but there are many other factors play into whether your application moves forward or not. Um, following current best practices for your resume, LinkedIn profile, and other communications will convey to those employers who are open to hiring experienced as workers that you can really be a valuable asset to their organization. And demonstrate, we've talked about this already, but I just want to really emphasize it. Demonstrate that you are a lifelong learner, always opening to learning new skills and applying them both in the workplace and in your personal life. I think that's really critical. And it keeps you young, it keeps you fresh. You know, our brains work best when we feed them new information. And that, that's really a lifelong thing. And then take advantage of the workshops offered by libraries and nonprofits. Um, here in Central Ohio, the Westerville Library offers job search related workshops on a regular basis. And you can also get help with resume reviews and interviewing practice in, through agencies such as Mature Works, formerly Employment for Seniors, Jewish Family Services, and Goodwill. And speaking of the Westerville Library, I do have upcoming workshops at the end of August and the beginning of September on LinkedIn basics and use, using LinkedIn for job search. So we will post those at on our right. site. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. You know, listeners, thank you for joining us. And don't forget to check out the show notes on our podcast website for more information and resources and the links that Sharon just talked about. We hope to hear from you too. Don't forget to review our podcast on Google My Business and we look forward to talking with you again soon.